Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as usual, I'm joined by my companion, Jet. I'm joined by my companion, Julian. Julian, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Uh, Scott, I know yeah. your first name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that went a bit sort of yeah pear shaped. Then, are you all right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm quite fine and eager to talk about Red Dwarf. I've been immersing myself. Uh, how about you? Yes, good. Yes, I'm. I'm really looking forward to this. Cracking on with a couple of couple of other seasons. We obviously did seasons one and two, or series one and two, uh, on the last episode. So we're going to cover off as much as we can. So starting with three and four, and see if we can creep up a bit further. Um, but yeah, now I've been watching these. I've watched back a few of these now because because to me, I mean, seasons sort of three and four is really where I got into it. This is where um, I sort of hit my run with this and. The, these two seasons really sort of mean quite a lot to me. So, um, yeah, as an overview, I, I, I really enjoyed them. I think there's some re- amazing episodes in this, in this, in the next couple of uh, series. Really strong episodes. I think everyone's sort of working, um, working at the top of their game. What are your thoughts on these last, these next couple of seasons, or where they're at? Uh, I do think that they're kind of uh, the classic run. I mean, I am maybe a little more weighted to those first two seasons than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know we both love them, you know, so it's it's apples and oranges. But, I mean, there is a sense that, especially once Crichton joins, uh, which starts in the first episode of the third season, that, you know, really that ensemble gels in a way that it really hadn't as much in the first two and i think that you know you get the new title sequence with the with the clips from that season uh it feels a lot more just kind of classic red dwarf and then i think once you get into sort of by the time you get into like series six it starts feeling you know maybe a little repetitive a little um you know, maybe more heavily produced. And then it kind of mm. like starts going off the rails and experimenting with breaking up that formula once you get to, you know, six, seven, eight. Um, yeah. So I think that, you know, really because it's like the, the Crichton stuff before you start breaking up that formula that really series three to five is kind of like the gold zone, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'd agree. This is like the yeah, this is sort of like the golden age, sort of the I, I, I like the, the the classic era of Red Dwarf because it is. I mean, this is where they sort of hit their stride. In it, you've had sort of like the first two series that are good, and I, I agree with what you're saying, but they don't for me. That said, they never quite gel, and I think like I say, there was a, clearly a missing component, and um, I think Crichton really brings that uh, brings that to the sort of the fore. Um, and obviously, as you said, we we go through some changes, um, mainly because 
Um, it was a surprising hit. I think, you know, that through the seasons one and two, they'd, they'd sort of been expecting it to sort of fall by the wayside. You know, the BBC were a bit like, oh, you're doing that still? Oh, okay, no, we're not doing that anymore. <laughs> um, but it was getting more and more popular. It was becoming one of the most popular sort of ser- you know comedy series on channel on BBC Two. Um, and so the BBC decided to throw some money at it. They gave it a bit more budget. They gave it a bit more of an opportunity. Um and it sort of again, it sort of shows, I think, in some of the production values in seasons two, uh, three and four, at least, um, and definitely in five and six. They say the production values get bigger and bigger. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is a real change. It's a sort of a change of pace, and it, it sort of comes up with a bit of a punch. Um, and I think one of the things as well, I'll quickly throw in before we sort of really get into them, is one of the things we sort of said about this uh, as a series in general. Is very much that it does not care about you keeping up. You know, it's a case of <laughs> like, right, if, you, if you're going to jump on board, jump on board, but we're not going to explain a whole hell of a lot to you. Um, and so season three, um, so season three, well, season two ended on a cliffhanger, as we sort of mentioned. It, it ends with um, Dave being, Dave Lister being pregnant with uh, two boys um, and you know that was that was sort of where it ended, having been to an, an alternate dimension that, where he got pregnant. Um, and they are not they are not going to bother covering that in a great detail at all. <laughs> um, they they give you a look at a Star Wars style sc- uh, scroll at the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. which explains everything, and then they go right on with the show, and that's it. Well, not only that, but that Star Wars crawl is sped up. For comedic yeah. purposes, so yeah. they don't, you know, you can't even read it in real time. It's just like, yeah, you know, that doesn't really matter. You know, people yeah. don't really care about that. And you know, I mean, this is something that, I mean, granted, these these are the Goldilocks years, you know, of Red Dwarf, but that discontinuity has always bothered me, um, and especially, you know, like it's funny we we were talking about how we were exposed to the show and how we sort of like first view it. Um, I do this thing where <laughs> like I will tune into a movie halfway through on HBO and I'll think, oh, you know, this is really interesting, but I'm obviously missing like some, some key parts of the plot, you know, or like what this character's relationship is. Um, you know, I'll go back and watch it later. And inevitably when I go back and watch it later, that was never explained. I was missing absolutely nothing. And, and I find this always to be the case. So you imagine little Julian, you know, American kid watching this. And, and this was the kind of thing where I thought, oh, I must have missed several episodes. You know, I had no idea a series was six episodes to begin with. I mean, as far as I knew, there were 200 episodes or something. Um, so I had no idea what I was missing. And I thought, oh, you know, like those Brits, they they got all of this. And I'm just getting... Like, I must have missed an episode, right? You know? Um, but no, no. The, the show just doesn't care. Yeah. And it's it, it's a sort of... It's part of the anarchic nature of it, isn't it? It's sort of like, it does. It doesn't care. I mean, the things that's sort of in there, um, you know, it, it sort of writes off a whole bunch of things because obviously they wanted to bring back Crichton. So, yeah, we haven't seen him since the first episode of season two. Where did he go? Uh, well, he went off on a space bike and he crashed into an asteroid. Oh, okay. So, and Dave's brought him back, but not been able to put him back together properly. And that, and that's it. You go, okay. We're not going to explain the fact like he's had a complete remodeling, um, mm-hmm. <coughs> a completely different actor, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame. We'll get into that. 
and then obviously with the fact two kids, it's like oh yeah, they were born um, because they became from they came from a different dimension. They age differently, um, so they had to be returned. So they used the Holly Hop drive to send them back, and then we're going to crack on. There's some other bits and pieces in there, but we're going to carry on. And that, like I say that's it. Like it's just sort of like and go. And I'm the same. I remember sort of like when you did watch this as a kid, it was that sort of like oh okay. <laughs> it's always uh-huh. sort of had questions, but I'm <coughs> but I'm always like. Just go with it then. I think that's just a case of it's, just, um, as I say, just just ride along and keep going. Yeah, and and the show will do this a few more times in one way or another. Um, <laughs> but but also they have Starbug, right? Like before they had yeah. that like you know blue, uh, blue shuttlecraft yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, the blue midget, and then that is still there a couple times in this season, and then will not be seen in in subsequent seasons that I can recall. But then all of a sudden, Starbug is there, which will become so important to the show. Starbug clearly was not there in the first two seasons, right? It's like how they had that observation room in the second season. Um, yeah, it's just bits and pieces keep coming and go. I mean, the other thing as well, we'll say about sort of not only because, I mean, Red Dwarf uh, remains. Um, I think that sort of the both the interior of Red Dwarf and Starbug, they get refits more often than the inside of the TARDIS. Like they change changes all the time, like different dimensions, different sizes, um, and they actually. I mean, they, they even we'll get into it in like season seven. Is they try and actually they try and actually sort of explain a bunch of that as to why sort of Red Dwarf uh, Starbucks now a bigger ship. Um, but yeah, it is. It's 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 a it's a, a great one. But they also well, then for season. Go on. Yeah, I, I was going to say they replaced the computer. So we saw in the previous episode when they were on the sort of gender reversal universe, you know, that they introduced Tilly, which was the female computer, and they get rid of the old guy who's playing their computer, and now it's the Hilly actress, but it's still called Holly. No explanation for that. They have uniforms, you know, that's not the biggest problem, but no explanation. It feels like you're suddenly watching a different show. And I've always, always kind of had the theory since I realized that I wasn't missing an episode that it's like these continuity errors make me think like, is this show just kind of like, um, uh, everyone's every season takes place in like a slightly different parallel universe than the last one. Um, (laughs) You know, like like it's a big thing in in uh, the previous season that uh, they know Rimmer has only had sex with one person. That's clearly not the case in season three. I mean, he's got yeah. a different backstory. Yeah, yeah, they slightly change things up, don't they? They keep adjusting them a little bit. And that's a good point, actually. Yeah, it could be just very different versions of them. Um, I kind of like that idea though as well. That sort of like yeah, there's a, there's actually another series that carried on from those two first two seasons that uh, where there's you know Rimmer still wears his uh, ship issued uh, uh, Jupiter Mining Core uniform and and you know it's still very similar to that because um, again like they they clearly wanted to change the tone of the show to match things and it, it starts because this is where it starts to sort of take the mick out of other uh, well established sci fi. Um, shows and tropes and that sort of thing, because um, you do get like you know, uh, the great one being sort of um, is Rimmer's uniform. Um, you know, he now literally dresses like C- Captain Scarlet, like he's got the the hat mm-hmm. and he wears like, it's like it's green, but he's got like the boots and everything. Um, I love it. I mean, I think it's it's the kind of thing Rimmer would do 
would be to give himself some sort of like militaristic but ridiculous uniform. Um, yeah. But you, you, you're right. You also get the new elements, and there's obviously the backstory and the, or the, the behind the scenes we should sort of mention as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously the BBC did give it more money. It, it got a, a big push. Um, it got moved time slot as well, um, so it was going to get more attention. Um, and so they wanted to sort of up the crew, and they sort of so they had this notion of bringing back Crichton um, first, and they did approach the the original actor uh, of Crichton, David uh, David Ross. Um, but he was unavailable. He was doing, I think he'd been offered another TV show um, or something else. He was doing a pilot for something else. So turned it down. Um, and they searched quite, quite, I would say extensively, but they searched for, for another actor and they came across uh, an alternative comedian that was sort of coming onto the circuit at the time, um, Robert Llewellyn. And they sort of offered it to him, but did, but never really told him like how much prosthetics he would probably have to wear until he was sort of like... <laughs> bound in a bit more um and so he became the you know Crichton met with the crew met with sort of uh Craig Charles and, and, and um Chris Barry and Danny John Jules and apparently got on with them incredibly well um and I've never met him but apparently you know apparently he's an incredibly nice guy and really laid back so just got on with them uh and sparked and that was it apparently like they just gelled and I think as we sort of said it sort of and it comes across that um he uh you know he's he's he just he becomes part of the crew sort of instantaneously. Um, but the other thing, the other change is obviously is Holly, as you say, and so Norman Levitt, uh, not sorry Norman Lovett, um, had picked up some more radio gigs and some more TV gigs, and so he and he was living in Edinburgh at the time, um, and said, look, if I've got to come down and do this because you're recording in London and in, sometimes in Manchester. I I can't really do rehearsal times, so I will rehearse. You don't really need me because I'm just a head in a computer. So, you know, how about we do this and this? And apparently, the BBC originally said, "Yeah, okay, that's fine, but you need to take less money to do that because if you're not going to do the rehearsal time, then we're not going to pay you as much to the guys and other stuff." And so he sort of, um, I wouldn't say he threw a bit of a, you know, not a hissy fit. It wasn't, it wasn't like being a prima donna, but he said, "No, that's not fine." But you know, but I am. I'm a part of the crew. You can't absolutely replace me, and so they did. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, they they uh, spoke to Hattie Haydridge, who had played Hilly, and uh, you know, sort of it's sort of history from there. Really, she she becomes Holly. Um, but one of the key things is they'd written quite a lot of um, series three by this point. So uh, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor had already started to write a lot of it. And they obviously had, you know, Crichton was fine, but they had Norman Lovett in mind when doing um, Holly. So you can sort of see they'd obviously got used to Norman Lovett's sort of cadence and his sort of the way he told jokes and what he did. And you can sort of see that that through through most of series three, like it still feels like mm-hmm. a, Norm, a Norman Lovett joke or a Norman Lovett line coming from. Hattie Hayridge. It's not really until series four, I think, that she comes into her own. Um, and even like, there's an acknowledgement of her being a female sort of version, really. I mean, we'll get to Dimension Jump and her reaction to Ace Rimmer, which, considering mm-hmm. all it is is a computer pixels, is baffling, but it's great. Yeah, I um, love it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So well, it, a lot of change come into the series. Yeah, and I think you're right about, about Holly that. Um, I, I did not know that. And so my first reaction in, in season three is sort of, uh, well, you know, you've changed this uh, actor and 
yet you're not really doing anything with it. And these feel like the same lines that could have been said by the other guy. Um, mm. And it does seem like such a quintessential BBC thing to do, if I may say, like to give the show more money and still be cheap about the actor, yeah. right? Yeah. Like only the BBC, you know? Oh yeah. No, it's totally sort of like, you know, that's, well, that's just, the, like you say, it, it appears in everything. I mean, that story, I'm pretty much sure, could be replicated on most genre programs that have appeared on the BBC at some point of, you know, slightly disgruntled actor not getting what they wanted, but so fine, take less money and, and do what you want, sort of thing. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a BBC thing. <laughs> um, well, the other thing is they did. Uh, I've read that they did have a first episode to the season that was going to be called Dad, and was going to basically include everything that was in that crawl. Right. Mm. That Lister gives birth and, you know, the two kids are aging and then basically like that plot ends. they get them back and then uh, to the parallel universe and then they basically go and get Crichton. And so there was this lost episode, Dad, and basically, you know, reportedly they were they weren't in love with it. They couldn't quite get it to work. And one of the problems was that. Uh, the sort of gender politics bothered them, uh, which is interesting because, like you know, we've talked about the gender politics of the show and sort of like what the previous episode, which was much more aggressive, gets right. So, I mean, it's nice that they would care about that, but it seems like at what point do you look at the script and just say, yeah, you know, this isn't really working for us. Yeah, you know. Sod it. We're just gonna, you know, jettison this and and just but keep all the changes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. We've already, we've already written four other episodes. I'm not redoing them. No, no, no. no. That, yeah, that costs more money. That costs money. That does. Um, yeah, and I, I love the fact that the, the solution is to just do the crawl. So no, we're gonna do the crawl. Everyone's gonna live with that, and you know, it becomes a part. It becomes a part of like Red Dwarf lore, doesn't it? That's the thing. It sort of fits into that mythology. Um. And I think, you know, like you say, just just the changes that are going to happen again, like down the line, you know, there's other, they'll do it again um, in other future seasons where not so much the tone, but obviously, you know, the obvious production values and the the, the camera setup going from that sort of, like you know, from the three camera to a single camera and all these other, no explanation. We're just going to sort of throw you in a different direction now and, and keep up. <clears throat> um. But even like say, even with this first episode. So if we go through the episodes, I'm going to quickly name them off. Actually, mm-hmm. but season three you have uh, backwards, uh, marooned, polymorph, body swap, time slides, and the last day. So that's sort of series three. But jumping you in, not only they changed up the um, changed up the sort of the like say the, the the crew and the sort of the production values and the sort of the, even the format to an extent. Not only did they change that. They are going to throw you in the deep end with an episode so sort of chock full of bizarre ideas that you sort of yet you are left a little bit like your head spinning. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, also like you know, Red Dwarf had never been to uh, Earth before, or you know, mm. I guess I guess this is an Earth, but they you know they said sort of like avoided those kinds of situations. And there were all those kind of rules, like, you know, I mean, even in season one, they didn't want to have androids because they thought that was a cliche, and then they get Crichton. Now he's part of the cast. 
And it does yeah. seem like they're kind of like relaxing their own internal rules a bit. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that sort of. Uh, and, and, you know, I think one of the only rules they've really apparently they really have stuck to is that aliens don't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've never seen, you know, but they've got, the, but they've even got around that by inventing right. other versions of things. So <clears throat> it's uh, it's never a hard and fast ruling. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I would say there's a theme that sort of runs through these next couple of seasons, or even into season five, really, um, of the one thing that the, the sort of the next couple of seasons keep doing is they keep giving the crew like. Um, what they wish for, but in like it's almost like that genie wish, you know what I mean? Sort of like mm-hmm. careful what you wish for. They keep getting something that they want, but it's always like a slightly crappy version, or it doesn't work, <laughs> or do you know what I mean? Or they, or even worse, they make an absolute mess of it. Um, and it is they, they keep sort of there's this sort of thing of careful what you wish for, or sort of you know, or <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like a monkey paws yeah. version of, of what the, of what they want. Like Dave wants to get back to Earth, all right, straight away. Well, you can here's a backwards version of Earth. You right. know, it's sort of, um, and there'll be others down the line. Yeah, or, you know, it's a perfect example. Right. Or Rimmer wants to be a hero. Well, here's, here's the hero, but he's another guy, you know, uh, he's not yes. you and he, you don't even like him. Um, yeah. and I, I, you know, and I think that, uh, I mean, there are, there's a kind of like trope in Red Dwarf. There's a trope of sort of like, be careful what you wish for. We're going to give it to you, but it's not good in one way or another. And then there's this sort of like, um, you know, alternate reality or, you know, virtual reality or, uh, mm. you know, a Simon or whatever, where your desires get projected, become reality in some way or another. But because they're such broken characters um, that those episodes actually serve to illustrate how messed up the characters are rather than giving them what they really want. Yeah, weirdly, I think you know the, the, you get to learn little bits and pieces um, of. I mean, the cat. The cat never gets an episode. I mean, the, the cat always remains a slightly sort of just a, a slightly daft character, and he's great. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love him, but he never gets his own sort of. Um, you know, he never becomes the center of a story. What I would say is, though, in, in all honesty, I think uh, I think Rimmer and Crichton almost become. I mean, they become the crux of this episode. That for some reason I think Rob Grant and Doug Naylor like writing those the most, because when you look at sort of the episodes that we get uh, in three and four, there's so much that they become. I would say Rimmer centric, but they, they you know mm-hmm. Rimmer becomes more and more of a character. And Crichton, I mean, this bloody series, like you know, you, this, this is the first, series three is the first series you get to meet Crichton fully, and it ends with him about to be switched off. <laughs> And so right. you get all that, you know, they give him a, a thrown away party or going away, but thrown away, going away party sort of thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so, you, but you, this will go through, as we go through them, but you, you get to learn more and more about Rimmer and Crichton, I think, in these episodes than I think, than you do about Dave and the cat. I mean, you learn very little about the cat, but I think Dave Lister almost starts to take a, not backseat, but he becomes, you know, I don't know. I don't. I'm trying to articulate it. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what I think, but um, I'll, I'll I think, give some examples in a bit. Yeah, I think it's not really until like we get all the way to like season seven that you get more Dave focused stuff. Mm. Um, like even the Kachansky stuff, 
kind of disappears for several seasons here, you know, and it's referenced, but, but Dave doesn't seem at, you know, like he's not as longing. He's not as troubled as he seemed in the first two seasons. Um, you know, he kind of becomes more the Vindaloo guy. He becomes the yeah. sort of like disgusting, the disgusting beating heart of the show. And Rimmer, who, you know, we're we're not supposed to like as much. I mean, I don't know. We're not supposed to think Dave is admirable, but I think we're supposed yeah. to relate to Dave in a way that we don't relate to Rimmer. But mm. in a way, because Dave is the heart of the show, in that at least for me, in that sense, um, it's you don't get as many episodes about him. You know, he is the status quo of, of you know Red Dwarf, and Rimmer is a little more odd. So that sort of like initial dynamic kind of changes a little. Yeah, I'd agree. And, 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 you know, it's, I think they start to lean into in many ways as well, sort of, um, you know, uh, Craig Charles is, is funny. I think he's great as Dave. He sort of, you know, as as Dave, he he hits that character on the head. He's great. But I think for my point, I think we start to learn that they really tap into um, the skill set of Chris Barry because yeah. um, I think the other thing that sort of is forgotten about is the fact that Chris Barry was a uh, was a character actor and voice actor, so he provided like multiple. There was a there was a, uh, a satire puppet show called Spitting Image, um, in the eighties, uh, on I don't know if it was on BBC or ITV, but it, in the eighties on the channel on whatever channel, and he provided multiple voices for that for that TV show, um, and so he is you know, he's he's very good at doing these different characters, and so they really they really sort of lean into that in these couple of, uh, in these couple of series. Uh, it's good. I'm glad, I'm glad they do it. Um, you know, uh, but it's interesting to see sort of uh, um, Chris Barry or Rimmer sort of become, coming to the forward a little bit, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you say about, uh, about his range. It seems to me that usually when we get kind of like alternate reality takes on the characters, you know, Lister is kind of Lister, and I'm not really mm-hmm. impressed with the alternate Lister, but I usually love the alternate Rimmer. You know, alternate yeah. Rimmers are so much fun, and we get a lot of them over the course of the series. Yeah. And, you know, almost all of them he nails. Yeah, oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, in this series, in series three, um, you know, you get sort of uh you know at least two versions two alternate versions of of sort of uh, of what rimmer could be and i think it's it's chris barry's so good um but I mean, let's focus in on that first episode backwards because it's sort of um i can't, this is the one that starts with smeghead isn't it sort of like you know um <laughs> um teaching teaching Crichton to to lie um oh no, that's that's camille so that's what i was going to say that's camille that's not even till a series later um so you actually obviously get they're obviously establishing Crichton, um, but it, but he does yeah, skip gonna... for the first time. I mean, you do see him skipping, yeah. uh, even though it's not uh, it's not uh, Lister teaching him successfully like in Camille. Yeah, um, but you, you know they're obviously relying on him, and he's sort of falling into this role already of being sort of um, you know they're building him up to be almost like the exposition machine in many cases, so he can uh, they teach him to drive. Uh, Starbug, so they can go out and about, and he's able to identify um, a time hole in space, sort of mm-hmm. quite instantly. So um, they sort of quite easily, quickly establish him. He's got some sort of science knowledge on something, sort of thing. But they said this whole episode set, they get sent back to Earth 
and, and it's a backwards earth. Um, now I don't know about the science, but the, uh, the, the special effects and some of the, the well, special effects, a bit of a push, the cinema, cinema, cinematography of it, um, was up for some awards. Cause I think it was something they hadn't really tried before. Um, but this, what about the? What do you think of the concept of this episode? Uh, I like it. I think this is a strong episode. I think that it is very Star Trek. Um, mm. You know, Star Trek always has these kinds of uh, episodes, not with the backwards stuff, but I'm, I'm reminded of how much I recalled Star Trek Four watching this with, like, Starbug, um, you know, landing in a park and then cloaking itself. Uh, just like they do in Star Trek Four, and then <laughs> also them, you know, looking for jobs, just like the City on the Edge of Forever, the celebrated Trek episode with the Guardian of Forever, where you know they in that time they go back to I think it's the '30s, and uh, you know they have to get these jobs. Um, so you know it's like we've that seems very incongruous for Red Dwarf. Uh, <laughs> you know we haven't seen you know anything on something this earth-like we haven't seen um you know the idea that they would have to get jobs and sort of like settle in for an extended stay like that and that they're worried about being seen i think like well why are you worried about being seen again i i don't know (laughs) um but i mean i i do quite like this episode it's clever and every time that i kind of start questioning it and thinking well would it really work that way they have in fact thought it out and it strikes me like, um, you know, all those like experimental Alan Moore short comics uh, mm. where like things go backwards. Like, you know, he did one of uh, there was a red shirt, uh, a, no gray shirt uh, short where, uh, you know, there was somebody aging backwards. And, you know, Alan Moore kind of likes that. And you think, oh, well, that was very thought through. It's not the most original idea, but it's just thought through so well that. Uh, here it's thought through for comedic purposes, but it still has so many nice touches, like a ballroom ba- brawl and and the cat. You know, what what can we say? <laughs> Using the bathroom in the bushes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you yeah. think of this episode? Um, no, I do. I think it's. I think it's. I think it's great. I think this because the other thing that they split up, they split up the team a bit, don't they? So you get. You know, you get like almost like two factions, but you get two the two teams. So you got like Crichton sort of with Rimmer, and um, Lister and the Cat. And so you, you, I like the way they get to approach it. That um, you know, Crichton is you know he's, he's pretty straightforward, he's pretty logical, and, and Lister sort of you know, sorry uh, Rimmer in himself is is pretty sort of although he's a snide git, he's actually sort of quite down to earth and stuff. So the first thing they think is that well, if we're stuck here, we've got to get jobs. Um, and I like the fact they become a sort of a novelty act, and it's sort of mm-hmm. like the really basic things, like you know, in this backwards reality, they can do what they want. So he eats an egg and he drinks a glass of water, and everyone's cheering for it. Um, uh, but there's, there's there's little jokes as well, sort of you know, between the two. I like the way they play off the two the two things. So when the Rimmer and Crichton land, um, they see a small sign that says Nod Null. Um, 136 no so 631 selim um and they're like oh okay it's, it's, it's backwards it's london 136 miles and they figure it out and then right. sort of like you know then then sort of um Crichton gives all the science about well there's the big bang so there's the possibility of the big contraction and all this other stuff 
when the cat and, and Lister arrive, they see the same sign, you know, nod, nod, and they're like, ah, we must be in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, just, so it's the same sort of, you know, they're like, ah, so we figured this out. And again, instead of trying to find anything, they just they just sort of they steal someone's bike and it goes backwards. Uh, and there's other bits and pieces. Now, so I, I like the comedy from the two different groups um, and the way sort of things sort of do. I mean, you know, there's there's a scene in a cafe where you, you get to see a, a woman regurgitating a sandwich, mm-hmm. um, which is, is, is pretty disgusting. But there's even for me, and I've always thought this, is when she's eating it like this bits you know that are jumping off the plate into her mouth. I'm thinking seeing that forwards is probably more disgusting than seeing it backwards. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I do. I do like it. It's a, it's a strong episode. And I say there's some great concepts, um, and I do like when again they come to the point where they've obviously been there for only for a couple of days. Like I don't know how long they've actually been there. Maybe in a couple of weeks, but they've been like Rimmer and, yeah. and Crichton have been there. And when they start to explain, like, well, this worked, actually things have worked better here. Yes, yes. You know, in fifty years' time, the fifth, the Second World War will start, and all these people are, you know, are going to be come back to life. Hitler will yeah. retreat across Russia and return back to Austria. And you sort of, they're like, you know, and then they sort of they talk about these things. Um, yeah, there's no death. Sort of, you just, uh, you know, get younger and younger, and then eventually you go back inside your mother. Yeah. yeah, and it's sort yeah. of said very lovingly, you know. Um, yeah, you, there's I, a I, lot I, of comedy Cr- there, there too. I, Cr- it, well, I, go ahead. Crichton gets mugged. I was, gonna, I think you said oh, Crichton yeah. talks about being mugged. He says that we were mu- on our first night. We were mugged, and two guys jumped out and forced ten pounds into my wallet. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was gonna. I was just gonna point that out. That you know, there's a lot of comedy there, and I think it's it, it's also a testimony to how important Crichton's going to be to this that. He gets a lot of humor in this episode for a new addition mm. to the cast. He's just working, you know, so great right away. Uh, yeah, and uh, they, they sort of they do they sort of introduce him as a character, and there's very little sort of like molding. He sort of seems to hit the sort of the floor, you know, well formed and stuff. Um, and because I, I, I do like that that whole argument about the backwards is because I also like the other the other idea when they sort of talk about the, the bad side of it, and they they sort of refer to uh, Santa Claus like Santa Claus, what a bastard. You know what you mm-hmm. mean? He's the old man who comes down your chimney and takes all your favourite toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so so they, they've got this really. I love the ideas they've got. It's a, it's a, like you say it's a well thought out episode that they they sort of the you know the premise has been has been pretty well uh, considered. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, I I think like the best science fiction it causes you to see the world differently. And I think that's true yeah. of those sort of like Alan Moore stories too, that you, you, it's the detail of what life would be like backwards. And, you know, all these examples, whether it's World War II or mugging or, or whatever, you know, makes you, I mean, cause ultimately time going forward seems to be an arbitrary thing. Um, mm. You know, I mean, it is strange that we, you know, punish people for something that they've done in the past, but if somebody did that in reverse, and punish them ahead of time, uh, or yeah. in fact, you know, there's that there's that funny little bit uh, about how, um, uh, you know, the the newspaper describes people brought to life by shotgun, uh, you know, and uh, yeah. their prison sentence was yesterday. Um, 
Yeah, so, I mean, I, I do think that, like, the best science fiction, it kind of causes you to see things differently. Although, obviously, here that's tied to kind of, like, getting that gross-out comedy, which I think is a different kind of comedy for Red Dwarf. I don't think that that's really in mm. the first two seasons, and they go for it in season three and much more. Yeah, I, I think, like I say, they're definitely trying for something a bit more, aren't they? They're trying to get away with more as well. Um, but you say because the other thing is, like I say the, the the episodes to me they feel um, there's a, there's a reason that these episodes are in this order. It's almost like right here's here's a money one, here's a low budget one, here's a money one, here's a mm. lower budget one, that sort of thing. Because um, backwards, obviously, you know, it seems to be like shot on location. They've done some sort of uh, camera cinematography effects or sort of things. So they sort of they have that, and then they follow it with marooned, which is just basically almost like a you know it's a it's a double header isn't it it's sort of lister and, and rimmer trapped on starbug mm-hmm. um when uh, you know uh, holly's trying to guide it through a, a series of black holes um yeah it's a bottle show get... right <laughs> exactly that's it i was gonna say it's, it's just, just a bottle episode isn't it really and it's sort of case okay well let's bring this down because we need some more money for some of the other stuff that we're gonna do um but it's a bit early second episode in but um mm-hmm. i do really like this episode um because again like you get to learn more about the characters um the, the, you know you get to learn some of the history of both dave and sort of uh of rimmer as well mm-hmm. uh, so what, what are your thoughts on marooned uh i like it i don't think it's as good as backwards by any means but i think that the it's a kind of classic concept right that you put people in a sort of enclosed space and that allows you to explore their characters. Um, Mm. And the fact, you know, in sci-fi that they're marooned, uh, you know, is even more of a sort of, you know, trope or cliche. Um, I do think it works. I think the stuff with uh, Lister's guitar uh, is very (laughs) strong. I, you know, I'm here again, I'm bothered by the, the discontinuity where, um, you know, Rimmer pretends he's had so many sexual liaisons, uh, but we know that uh, he's only had sex once. I mean, you'd think that, like, in an episode that's all about really getting to know these characters in a sort of, like, bottle episode, that they would not retroactively change continuity. But, I mean, that's a minor complaint. I think as this kind of episode goes, it's very successful. Yeah, I agree. I think there's there's some good stuff in there you know um you do start to learn more about um you know it emphasizes again sort of you, you find out that rimmer has got a specific chest filled with sort of like you know tin soldiers or sort of wooden soldiers that um he was given to given by his father it's just the one thing that he sort of holds dear that his father gave him because we know and that i mean that sort of constitutes his hands stands to, to you know stands up that his relationship with his father isn't great um mm-hmm. But this thing, you know, he has these things, and so it's sort of like it fuels this idea again. The only thing he's ever been given is this sort of like militaristic set of soldiers, and sort of you know this aspirational thing for him to live up to yet again. Um, it's quite interesting. Uh, is it in this episode that you first learn that uh, Dave Lister was left in a box under a pool table? I think it's in this one. I'm sure it's in this. Yeah. I've checked it, but I'm sure it's in Maroon where he does. He sort of it's the first time he mentions the fact that he 
um, didn't know his original parents, and he was he was left in a box under mm-hmm. a pool table. Um, so you get like you know you get you get in these snippets because I mean they come back to that as well because that will get onto that yeah. sci-fi uh, <laughs> in future episodes, future seasons. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, it's not it's not a busy episode. Like there's not a great deal going on, but I think some of the comedy is great. Sort of like you know um, when he's hungry. Um, you know, he talks about the books and he can't sort of say why, because, yeah. you know, uh, Eric Van Lusbader <laughs> or um, uh, Eric Pinter and all these others um, that he's like, don't talk about it, it reminds me of food. Um, <laughs> and they're a bit, it's, it's a bit of a tenuous connection, but he's still got to sort of like, he makes that connection. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it sort of, again, you go for this, you talk about the gross out comedy as well, sort of like, you know, yeah. he talks, he, eventually you see Dave eating. Uh, you see, you see Alyssa eating dog food from a tin. So right, it's it is quite gross. You know, obviously holding back and the the pot noodles got to go last. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I do think that the the sort of like burning the last copy of Shakespeare and sort of deciding which books to burn is is very funny. Um, you know, and amusing. And I and I do like to think about how all of humanity is dead. It's three million years later. And now to top it off, we're burning the last copy of Shakespeare. Now we assume that, you know, it exists on the ship, um, you know, and, and previously we've seen Holly um, going through like Agatha Christie. So obviously um, there must be digital copies of these books if in fact that's still in continuity. But um, there's something very poetic about, you know, sort of the last human left alive burning the last copy of Shakespeare that is so despondent, is so despairing uh, that I just love it. Uh, I think it fits a lot with the sort of Red Dwarf aesthetic. Yeah, I agree. It's that, yeah, because it is. It's the last human and the last remnants of, of human culture, isn't it? Um, but again, like this this episode, like they, they want it... They, the thing we've sort of said about before is that no one in this in this series is, is aspirational. You know what I mean? Like you know, you sort of like you probably want to hang out with Dave for a little bit, but then you'd probably get annoyed, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you don't really want to hang out with Lister at all, uh, with Rimmer at all. But in this episode, um, I've always sort of struggled with this. Mm-hmm. In that sort of like you know, Lister has always been held up as a sort of uh, has a, a sense of morality and stuff like that. Um, and like you said, the bit with the guitar, it is funny, sort of like, you know, he sort of, he, um, Rimmer has that camphor wood uh, chest, um, and you find out, obviously, the guitar is really important to, to uh, Lister as well, but the fact he then vandalises and dismantles uh, Rimmer's um, chest, after also burning the sort of, like, you know, he, the wooden soldiers, well, later on, he obviously he burns the wooden soldiers as well, um, and then when at the end when he gets the guitar out, like I don't know, there's something about it that really bothers me that I'm like, it's yeah. a really like it's a really sort of like dick move on on Lister's part. Um, yeah, absolutely, especially because uh, Lister is a terrible guitar player. I mean, there are several <laughs> things that kind of contemplate that comp, uh, make this uh, more complex. One is that. Lister is terrible at the guitar or, you know, he's delusional that he thinks he's a good guitar player. I mean, it'd be like me keeping a guitar. I mean, (laughs) you know, what is the use of that? Um, And then I wonder like, well, you know, I do kind of wonder like, uh, does it matter that Rimmer's a hologram? Like, you know, he can't touch 
at least in, in this episode later, he gets the hard light thing, but he can't touch those wooden soldiers. Um, mm. Does that make a difference? Does it make a difference that he's dead? I mean, like, why? So I kind of go back and forth, you know, not that any of this need be relevant to that consideration, but I kind of go back and forth thinking like, yeah, well, you know, uh, screw Rimmer. Uh, he's a hologram. He doesn't need these mementos of his abusive father. Uh, yeah. You know, these are dumb. And then I think, well, but that guitar is dumb too. For me, yeah, it's a dick move. I can kind of, I actually don't get mad at the dick move until the end. And it's really mm-hmm. seeing uh, Lister go over to the cabinet and pull, you know, as they've been rescued and, and he goes over to the cabinet, he pulls out the guitar, doesn't say a thing and just yeah. leaves. And, and, and Rimmer is just, of course, you know, cause the show has great comedic timing, you know, has just delivered this uh, sort of soliloquy about how wonderful Lister is and how something happened here, something amazing. And then, <laughs> you know, he goes to the cabinet and pulls out this guitar. It's the, the way he does it without saying a word. Like, you know, he doesn't even say, I've got bad news. I'm glad you think this of me. I'm not the good person you think I am. You know, there's Mm. no, like, human moment there. It's just, like, the most... It's not like, I thought I was going to die and I had a moment of weakness, you know? There's no accountability. There's just, like, this guilty going... He's guilty, but I don't know. There's something about that that actually upsets me more about that character than actually the deception in the first place. No, I mean, because he knows what he's doing. I mean, because it comes after, because he, he burns the guitar first and Rimmer then sacrifices his, uh, his, his wooden soldiers. And, and Lister does that as well. Like, he, you know, he will then burn those soldiers. Um, and I know what you mean about Rimmer being just a hologram, but he's still a consciousness. So, you know, he, he still has those memories and he's still sort of articulating them. So I don't know, he, he still he can still experience those emotions. Um, but like you say, yeah, just just the, mo- the moment um, when he does, he sort of goes over to the locker and sort of pulls out uh, the guitar and sort of just walks off. Um, <laughs> again, I think, it, I think it goes to the range of, of, of Chris Barry because I like say he does have that sort of moment where he's like, you know, he says to Crichton, something, this is, I learned something here today, sort of about how good this man is. And mm-hmm. then just the sort of the look, the look on his face as it, that guitar, as Dave walks past with that guitar, is priceless. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, uh, it's so well done. I mean, it ends as well because you've learned as well that he has a, a belief. That in a past life he he lived in the castle of Alexander the Great. Now he wasn't Alexander the Great; he yeah. was Alexander the Great's chief eunuch. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, well, um, and I, so the, go on. the most sycophantic uh, personality imaginable. Like you can't even imagine yeah. that you're Alexander the Great. It was just like I was close to greatness. You know, yeah. so pathetic and so narcissistic at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, um, and it ends a, lot, a, a great, like, you know, joke because it calls back to it. It's sort of like you know, a good, great shot as well. Like, it's, there's a shot up through the back of the case, uh, this, this sort of mm. the guitar cutout in the case. You see, sort of, um, Rimmer, and he says to Crichton, he says, um, get a pair of uh, trimming shears and something else. I'm going to do to Lister what Alexander the Great once did to me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, he's, he's clearly furious. Like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, yeah. 
you know you say it's not a big episode but there's just moments in this that i think are absolutely great and it's it's it shines a light again on how good i think they are at the characters they're developing oh i agree now i mean without belaboring the point um you know going back and watching so many seasons and watching them um in, in such quantity i do sort of find myself asking are they really friends do mm. they really love each other and there are episodes where they make it crystal clear they do not, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, I mean, you know, Cat especially. Anytime somebody is, you know, especially Rimmer is is stranded, you know, Cat is clearly just absolutely happy to abandon him. Thinks that is a victory. Um, <laughs> yet would never like push him into an escape pod and eject him into space, right? I mean, mm. or an airlock or something. I mean, that's unthinkable. Um, you know, so I do kind of wonder, like, they clearly seem to have some affection for each other, but they also, you know, um, you know, say these terrible things to each other and and seem to to hate each other in, in other ways. And I, I kind of wonder, uh, especially in this episode, of course, it's kind of clever to give them a sort of heart to heart, you know, the whole thing kind of reminds me of that movie Enemy Mine, you know, where they spend time together and realize they're not so bad. Um, But then to, you know, pull the the rug out from under them. I mean, it does seem to show that, oh, they're they're capable of really caring about each other. They're not just incompatible people who are going to argue endlessly. And yet that rug is pulled out. And I, and I do wonder, and it might vary episode to episode, whether they do really care about each other. I, it's, it's weird. I think there's, it's almost, there's almost like, um, is it just familiarity? Like, you know, you say, is it the fact that they are, they are trapped in this thing together? So because of that, that's just how it's going to be. So I I'm sort of have to be trapped with these people. So I sort of have to, um, survive with them or are they genuinely friends um i mean really they they actually come to try and address this later on actually i think it's in season seven um but they they, it's weird because there are times as you say that that they have like genuine moments of sort of um uh, empathy or whatever between them i mean you know it's even even before even like seasons one and two like you know when they received the um uh the post pod and you know mm-hmm. rimmer finds out that his dad's dead um he's like well obviously he's dead he's been dead for three million years but it obviously affects him and like yeah you know, lister will go and check on him and be like you know you're right sort of thing um yet as you say sort of like you know the next scene he'll he'll happily enjoy rimmer having some sort of pratfall um so yeah i don't know swings around about it's, it's an interesting dynamic or i say so is it a friendship or is it just sort of um Cir- you know, having to sort of tolerate within circumstances. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, but this episode, taking... this episode does feel like, I mean, clearly you could write them so they come right to the brink of friendship and they become friends, right? I mean, mm. if Lister had, you know, just thrown his stupid guitar on that fire, <laughs> you know, yeah. they might well have become friends, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it would be a very different future. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's, 
one of my favourite lines, and I've I've used it on on you know I've I have used it. I think it comes in Hollow Ship in Series Five, which we'll, we'll probably get when we will get to. Mm. But it's when he's leaving, and he says, "I've come to see you as um, people I met." Yeah, you know, sort of. <laughs> Not even colleagues or anything, just people I know. So sort of people I've met, and sort of you know, it's sort of uh, it's it's sort of. <laughs> It, I, you know that's sort of how it is at times. I think with them, it's sort of like, well, I've got to stay here because I've got no one else to sort of survive with. Um, but then again, like I said, there's other times when they do genuinely sort of, I think, have some sort of emotion for each other. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we'll move on because I think there's a couple of where those sort of uh, last day actually we'll get to the last the last episode of the season. I think there's some again some sort of they try and hit those emotional beats again. Um, but leaving Marooned and sort of moving in there, so we get to Polymorph, um, which is another sort of like banger. They sort of they're introducing some special effects, and they introduce really the first proper uh, red dwarf mo- monster in the form of the Polymorph, um, a genetic uh, from Earth. So again, not an alien. This has come from Earth. So it's been drifting in space. Um, a a genetically modified creature that can change its shape and size at will to sort of fit in with its environment and uh, feeds on human emotion, uh, Mm -hmm. negative human emotions, I should say. Um, And so, yeah, I'm not entirely sure why this thing would ever be created. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) I've no idea what purpose it ever served, but yeah, it's... uh, it's an interesting design, and it, it does lead to sort of, sort of the first of those alternate rimmers that we sort of talked about. What are yeah, your thoughts I mean, on uh, Polymorph? I do remember watching this when I was a kid. Um, this mm. is this is one that I have clear memories of. Um, yeah, I I was less taken with this one um, than I remembered being. I I think that so much of it comes from sort of the humor of like seeing a shape changer turn into a sausage, you know, and mm. all the things that we don't normally see shape changers turn into. Right. Um, you know, and that's sort of, uh, you know, just the comedy uh, of all the different things you can do it with it. Inevitably, uh, you know, Rimmer comes in as, is, you know, Crichton is going after Lister's crotch, you know, um, <laughs> you know, and all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it, it, it's fun, but you know, I guess, I guess it's a. I still think it's you know slightly above average as an episode, and I grew up with it. But I, I guess you know I don't really I don't really get why it has to feed on negative emotions. You know, like you said, why would you create this? But but I don't even understand, like you know how that works. Is that it's food? Like it eats negative emotions? I mean, why does it need that? Um, you know, and then and then it's destruction at the end with these, you know, sort of floating balls uh, flying around is, is very cheesy. And, you know, it's fun for what it is. But I, but I think I was less taken with this than I remembered. It's an interesting one because, again, it's one of those ones, I think, that um, th- this is one of the first episodes that I remember being talked about on the playground at school. <laughs> Like I really got into, the, you know, I remember seeing like backwards in a maroon to see into, but this was the first one, and I think because it's sort of it's a bit more, um, there's a bit more, it's a bit more risque this episode that they push the boundaries. It's about the gross out humor and some of the bits. Like there's some moments in this that I think you know they really are pushing the boundaries of what they could try and get away with. Um, 
and I, I don't know. For me, I, st- I still I do. There's a no- there's definitely a nostalgic um, kick for this episode as well. But I, I just en- I enjoy um, quite a lot of what's done in this episode. Um, I, I, I again I think that the opening is really strong. Again, you get some character moments. I love mm-hmm. the fact that um, Lister is trying to use medical utensils yeah. to, uh, to to sort of make it a classy meal. Uh-huh. Um, which what's weird is there was clearly there was they've referred to there's an officer's mess. So there's clearly going to be like decent cutlery and all kinds of stuff in the kitchens of those uh, those areas. Why right. he's using medical utensils, no idea. <laughs> But it's, it, it makes me laugh. I like it. Um, well, and there's a great exchange between Rimmer and Crichton where Rimmer's sort of reminiscing and looking back at old video of his uh, his family. You sort of see that, you know, um, you you see his mother. You actually see his mother for the first time and you, you see his brothers and them sort of pinning him down and putting uh-huh. jam all over his face <laughs> uh, and, to- and torturing him. So you sort of, you actually get to see more about it. But um, I love Crichton's reaction. So Crichton says, oh, is that an old girlfriend? And Rimmer's like, oh, no, ha- hardly. He's like, oh, no, you wouldn't be interested in an old trout like that, would you? Um, <laughs> and it turns out to be his mother. And sort of the, the sort of stuttering response from um, uh, Crichton is perfect. You know, he's sort of like, oh, oh so I'm sorry, so I let myself trout. Uh, I mean, uh, sorry. Um, again, it's sort of like, you know, is is Robert Llewellyn is doing fantastic as Crichton. Um, oh, absolutely. But- but uh, yeah, weirdly, I enjoyed those bits, those bits more, those opening bits more than I think than, than the actual polymorph um, finale, sort of the second half, um, which is fine. Oh, I, it is good, but it's a bit like you say, it's sort of a, a bit daft. Yeah, no, I agree, and I and I think that uh, you know, I mean, I have in my notes, you know, when their listeners making kebab with the medical equipment, you know, the cat says. <laughs> This isn't a meal; it's an autopsy. <laughs> yes. I'm just laughing out loud, uh, you know, at, at that. Yeah, I mean, I have the same. I, I feel like if you're going to spend money on the special effects, it should be more satisfying than this. Um, you know. Now, the flip side is both of us remember this well, um, mm. you know, or at least remember talking about it, and we remember this episode. And I think that. You know, in a way, it might be more appealing, especially to kids and to people who are kind of new to sci-fi, you know, or at least new to Red Dwarf. Um, you know, like the a shape-changing alien is something that is just kind of like intrinsically fun. And, yeah. and maybe for us as Red Dwarf fans, we look on this and say, yeah, you know, it's got its moments, but the moments we like are those character moments. You know the alien is is not up to snuff, uh, especially compared to other episodes. But maybe if you're new to Red Dwarf or you're coming at it from those tropes, it's just more fun. You know. Uh, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. There's sort of um, uh, there's some there's some because this is still early early doors, and as you say, it's the BBC. So although it got more money, it didn't get a huge amount of money. You know, what I mean, this was still the. Uh, um, on a shoestring budget, so they did what they could. But again, like I say, if you can't do it, try and do it differently. Um, but it, again, it's sort of like you know the the effect. It, it comes down to the character things again because I kind of like the the effect that they have. They choose to remove specific emotions from each of the um, each of the characters. Um, I think it's Dave. Is it Lister? Lister gets hit first. Um, 
uh, with uh, was it, is, is, no, it's his fear. Um, so the, he you don't get to see because he gets to see something that terrifies him. Like you know, the thing that scares him most bursts out of his uh, washing basket and it, it pulls his fear. Um, and again, I think this comes down to sort of like their interpretation because the although he becomes fearless, he also becomes incredibly aggressive. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> all right. Um, it's almost like has his fear been keeping him in check? Because he just he just basically sort of like wants to go out and start a fight. Because he basically threatens to beat everybody up because he's he's fearless. But being fearless doesn't mean you become aggro with everyone, um, right? But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, the assumption there, right? I mean, the world view is like fear is the only thing that keeps us from violently lurching lurching into conflict at all times, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's, it's you know because it sort of it starts to sort of. I mean, it's it's got to be a broad brushstrokes kind of you know generic uh, stereotypes. But yeah, that one's always sort of bothered me. That sort of like you know, Lissy just becomes really aggressive. Um, right. I mean, it doesn't. One of the things that this episode also does introduce the bazookoids, which is their sort of like weapon of choice going forwards. Um, <clears throat> but then I I, I kind of do like that you know when they do remove the other emotions again, like Chris Barry uh, Rimmer. He loses his anger um, because they come into a room and the polymorph has actually turned into his mum, and you find out that this yeah. has actually slept with it. And um, one of the best, one of the weirdest and funniest <laughs> lines is when she says, "And the thing this boy can do with alphabetty spaghetti <laughs> um, is disturbing on many levels." <laughs> um, so yeah, you do get a version of Rimmerden that has no anger um, and. Uh, uh, I again, I, I like that. It's sort of like, that's again my favorite character. It's a T-shirt that says "Give Keisha Chance," and uh, yeah. <laughs> he becomes sort of like yeah. a a weird hippie. Yeah, I mean, I I sort of you know I sort of have in my notes that he seems like a a, a politically correct guy with a with a goatee. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, he is sort of hippie or or hipster. Um, I I did I did like all of those lines about sort of um. You know, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, negotiate and, you know, and th- this litany of sort of like namby-pamby solutions, which obviously is also there to, to play off Lister's aggression. Um, but I but I couldn't help but think that uh, that this alternate Rimmer should be funnier. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. more clever, but it's not really funny yet. And I find other alternate Rimmers more funny. Uh, yes, I agree. I think they're sort of they're still playing it a little safe, but um, I mean, they, again, it's more about the word humor, isn't it, than the actual character humor? Because he sort of, I can't remember what it's called, but he, he forms, he wants to form a coalition to, uh, for the coalition for the liberation of something or other. Yeah, um, and it's it, unfortunately it forms it. <laughs> unfortunately, it forms the word clitoris. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. That is legit is funny. Chemi- yeah, yeah, which is a Kevin Smith joke that came like twenty uh, ten years later. So. Kevin Smith made the same joke in uh, uh, Jane Silent and Bob Strike Back. So Red Dwarf beat him to it. Um, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a dubious that... accomplishment, Scott. Yes, to me, I'm take. I'll take it. Though. I'll take uh, any yeah. accomplishment. Um, and again, like you say, the cat version. I love the fact that his vanity gets taken, so he becomes like you know a wino um, bum. Um, and again, that sort of makes sense because he's sort of you know. But the other one that sort of concerns me is um, Crichton has his guilt removed 
mm-hmm. which firstly is an Android, so sort of how would you remove a, you know digital emotion? But yes. besides the point. Um, but he has his guilt removed, and again, it just turns him into like a really underhand, um, you know, <laughs> deceitful person, um, willing <laughs> to sort of sacrifice them so that he can survive. Um, yeah, I, I just you know, it's funny and it, 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 it sort of it plays out quite well, but it doesn't feel. Um, it doesn't feel as authentic as I think it should. It could do. Like again, granted, like you say, they've got like a twenty-two minute, twenty-five minute episode to put this all in, so right. it has to be broad brushstrokes. But yeah, it's sort of uh, it's a good idea. That I, I watching it back, I, I don't think they completely nail. I still love the episode, but I don't think they completely nail it. Yeah, and I think and I think you're right to isolate on those those alternate versions of the cast that it feels like that's a missed opportunity. As much mm. fun as as they are, you know, uh, you know, especially the the dialogue of Rimmer and, and all of this. Um, as fun as it is, uh, you know, we love seeing these alternate versions of the cast. It feels as if they could have nailed those a little better for me. Mm. Yeah, and you know, maybe it's it's one of those things we've said it with a few of the films that we've reviewed. It's sort of like, well, one more pass at the script, and you probably could have nailed it. But it just feels a little bit like you've you've you know you missed your um you know you just just that one little notch away from it, which is a shame. But it is still a good episode. Um, and uh, it, it again though it ends on a cliffhanger because it then reveals right at the end mm. that uh, right. the pod that, that contained the, the polymorph actually contained two. Uh, and you see that there's a second one sort of like um, kicking around on Red Dwarf. Um, and we'll never find out what happens to that. So, <laughs> well, Doesn't it impersonate Lister? Um, yeah. You know, at the at the end. And, and But then there's no follow-up, right? You know, which yep. kind of annoys me, especially after the beginning of the season, not following up on, you know, I mean, obviously now we see like on uh, so many shows, you know, I think it was kind of pioneered by, American Dad and Family Guy, where like characters die. I mean, South Park before it, you know, Kenny gets killed at the end of every episode. Um, mm. This sort of like, yeah, continuity doesn't really matter on this show. Um, yeah. But you know, Red Dwarf was doing that back in '93. You know, um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting I say because it, it, it's it's a good payoff. It's a joke. To, they, they're basically looking more to finish the show off on a joke rather than you know, um, have something that's going to pay off. Right. You know, it's not, it's not there to, uh, to be picked up in a later episode. Like you don't go, Oh no, there was a polymorph hiding out on the ship for years in season six. Um, no, it just, it's just sort of, it's a, it's a bit of a joke to sort of leave the show on. Um, so that's polymorph. So really sort of, you know, so jumping forward, you got, you got, um, the, uh, the next two are quite small, again, sort of quite small ones, really. But you got body swap, um, which is quite a, a, a character focused one. It's sort of, uh, you you have quite a, uh, a, I don't know, depressed, sort of suffering from ennui, Lister, um, <laughs> you know, trying to contemplate what it is to be the last human, but suffering weirdly, as we sort of have now, just this this notion of quarantine, really, sort of stuck on a ship doing the same right. stuff day in day out. Um, you know, playing sort of soapsud slalom on the cargo uh, decks, or um, I forget what the other one is. Sort of, um, they they basically play some sort of uh, version of hockey, ice hockey, or, or version of hockey on uh, 
uh, unicycles using bread loaves. So they sort of they've they've made up all kinds of games just to fill their time. Um, it was that kind of that's time slides actually, but body swap. You you get in, get into this feeling of actually that is time. I'm so sorry. That's the beginning of time slides. Um, yeah. But body swap, yeah, you get this sort of notion of sort of like you know. Um, the difference between Rimmer and Lister. And this, you know, we said before about the characters not being friends and wanting to take advantage of each other. This is where sort of Rimmer takes full advantage of Lister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I so mean, what... Rimmer takes over Lister's body. Uh, you know, I like the sort of, I like the sort of joke at the beginning with the, uh, the auto-destruct and, uh, yeah. you know, the, the ship is malfunctioning and, uh, you know, I, I mean, one of the things that I love about Red Dwarf is how off the rails it gets. And and that irritates mm. me sometimes when there are, you know, like that, that incongruity between second and third season. I mean, I'm fine with it. It's an experimental show fundamentally, so whatever. But, um, you know, one of the things that I love so much about this show is how far off the rails it gets that mm. like the first episode everybody dies you know uh yeah. the second episode you get visions of the future um you know and here you know to start an episode with uh red dwarf starting its self-destruct sequence is yeah. another <laughs> one of those sort of examples um <laughs> I'm just you know the joke. I'm just, yeah i'm chuckling because i remember in the payoff as well um it is, yeah, because I mean, the joke is again, it's we're getting into the daftness of Holly. Like, they've um, things have <laughs> happened and uh, things have been re rerouted, and he can't remember what uh, um, what has been rerouted to the self destruct. It just so happens to be uh, a, a dispensing machine on one of the right. decks, and uh, it uh, distributes yes, food, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, as they and think they're is, about to die. That's it, yeah. Lister orders a crunchy bar and something, and then it's about to get down to zero, and it just pops out a chocolate bar. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's yeah, that sense of chaos of like, I don't know if we're all about to die or the ship's gonna throw a a bar at me. Yeah, (laughs) that's wonderful. Um, it is good because I mean, you you know, again, because they they do go to that last point, there's no, and that's one of the things, I suppose, when you were first watching this, there's no sort of like last minute rescue, is there? There's no sort of like survival, you know. Oh my god, we stopped this at like two seconds to go, um, you know, in that sort of Star Trekky kind of way or whatever. Or Star Wars, no, no, they go to it. They, they can't do anything. They, they are literally <laughs> saved. They are saved by Holly's incompetence. <laughs> yes, and, well, and they try to do something, and it fails miserably, right? Yeah. You know, they have the solution of they need a senior officer, but of course, all the senior officers are dead. So we'll wipe Lister's brain and replace it with. Uh, you know, Carol Braun XO, uh, you know, and uh, restore Lister later. And it's like, you know, is this going to kill Lister? Well, you know, destroy Lister's brain. Well, quite possibly, but we're all about to die in a self-destruct. And, but yes, I mean, the idea that it just goes down to zero, you're thrown into this, you know, right at the beginning. And it's just pure luck that they're not dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, th- this is probably one of the the, the, the episodes to me. There's a couple uh, each series that feel a bit like a Simpsons episode, where the writers have said, "Well, we want to end at this point. How do we get to that point?" And nothing is off the table. Like you know, let's get to that point. Right, we've got to get to the point of them doing a body swap. 
how do they get to that agreement and how do we find out about that technology? How about this? Right. And then they sort of they, they reach to the sort of the impetus, the thing that sort of kicks it off. And I, again, I love that sort of start. Um, and yeah, you do then get the, you know this thing of um, um, Craig Charles and Chris Barry switching characters, sort of almost like face off, <laughs> right. um, le- level. Sure. Uh, and uh, uh, the the guarantee is because obviously you know Lister is sort of feeling a bit uh, like you know. Um, um, run down, and, and and it's noted that he's probably been putting on weight. And Rimmer mm-hmm. could sort of like, well, just give me, give me five days, give me three days in your body, and I'll get you into fighting, you know, fighting form yet again. Um, he doesn't. He just goes and sits in a jacuzzi, smoking cigars, and, and looking at porn. Um, um, but it's uh, it's yeah, it's. <laughs> I would say this isn't one of my favorite episodes. It's one of those ones I've gone back to and I've watched, but it's never my favorite. Um, but there are some good moments in this. Um, yeah, I think uh, it's a weaker episode too, and and I'm surprised because um, because it's such a classic idea, especially given the original kind of odd couple uh, conception of the show. That mm-hmm. you know, when you have that idea, having them switch roles or have to impersonate each other or whatever is a great idea. Putting them in each other's shoes um, is such a classic sort of reversal and then obviously you've got two comedic actors who you and i both happen to like and think you know have talent and getting them to actually impersonate each other seems like a good idea and there are fun bits um but you know uh i i don't know it 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 seems uh like a a good idea but it just it doesn't seem to have a lot of weight to it or to, or to work as much as I want it to. No, if anything, I think it's one of the, it's an episode that probably would have landed better if it had been done in seasons one and two, mm-hmm. um, because of that odd couple nature. I think because the, because the, the show has sort of shifted gear a little bit, this episode feels a little bit out of place. Um, and again, it's, it's, I mean, it's not really a bottle episode, but it's a very small episode, isn't it? It's, it's all set within the ship. Um, there's very little in the set the way of special effects. Um, you know, it's sort of it's it's all very much about the crew in the in the in the in Red Dwarf. So again, it's a sort of a lower budget episode, probably paying off. You know, some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it feels more like it would have been at home in that first couple of series rather than than in series three. Yeah, I think you're very right. And I and I think the fact that Lister is depressed and, you know, it's like, well, why did you need three seasons to start thinking about the implications of being the last human, you know? Yeah, because yeah, I mean, this is where sort of I think they start to sort of carry these themes on because, you know, and I think this is why they're in this order because body swap is then followed by time slides. And it does get into this notion of like, yeah, I am the last human and I'm stuck on this ship with you lot. And it's sort of like there's <laughs> nothing for us to do, like you know. The only alternative actually is to swap out a body with somebody else, but I can't read really, that didn't go well. Um, but yeah, no, it's, body swap is is an interesting episode, but it's sort of again, it's sort of it's, it feels like a throwaway episode um, for the season, like it's not a strong one. Um, but yeah, time sure. slides, I but but time slides, I do enjoy. I think time slides is a great episode. Um, well, I, I agree. Uh, I, I love to. I just wanted to say one final thought on uh, yeah. body swap, which is that if Marooned feels like they are, they really could be good friends. 
but mm. you know, Lister burned uh, you know the uh, case since the uh, chest instead of the guitar. There's something about you know how malicious Rimmer is. I mean, stealing. <laughs> You know, you steal somebody's body and then you take off at Starbug and say, I'll see you in a month. You know, I I lied every step of the way, lied again every step of the way. And then even at the end, uh, stealing Kat's body, there's something very malicious here Mm -hmm. that bothers me in a way that I'm not sure I'm not sure about. Like, you know, in uh, in Marooned, I think, oh, they really could be good friends or at least you know love each other if they weren't stabbing each other quite as much but there's something so vicious about body swipe swap i mean rimmer is just so savage here that i find it almost disturbing yeah and the fact that like like you say about the cat at the end like he doesn't like you know to be fair the first time it happens like you know lister does it does it willingly mm-hmm. after that? Like, no, he's like, he, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tantamount to a lot of weird, like weird, it's like body theft, isn't it? To both Lister and um, the cat. Um, you know, I mean, the cat actually says like, you know, he, he was chloroformed. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and woke up like that. So, and then, Lister, you know, Lister, uh, Rimmer walks in the cat's body. He's like, look, just give me a couple of days. And then it'll go, you know, just the weekend. And we'll go straight back to it. Um, and it's yeah, it is. It's sort of like if if I was you know list or whatever, you'd you'd right, you'd get everyone back in their body, and then you just destroy that technology because it's clearly like really right. You wouldn't, you couldn't trust if, you know if because again like Crichton like because he can't touch anything, so it's got to be Crichton that's doing it, isn't it? And he says like he can't disobey an order. Um, right. Yeah, that's a real risk to be to be to have that going around. So yeah, it does show a really really sort of like say it's like you say savage underside of rimmer yeah i'm not gonna forgive anyone for chloroforming me and stealing my body anytime soon no <laughs> no <laughs> that's a lot yeah. harder for to forgive especially if you know sort of like the kind of joyride he's taking the previous ones on so you're like, yeah it's gonna come back a little bit battered and bruised yeah and he keeps um, doing this stop yeah. <laughs> you know stop knocking us out and taking our bodies dude but the thing is that that notion, that sort of like you know, uh, and he, he admits it sort of in the second in this next episode in time slides like, mm-hmm. again. That sort of mentality of Rimmer continues. Um, you know, there's a let me just give a quick overview of the episode. Like they discover um, that there's been a mute. I mean, it's, it's it's a daft idea that makes no real sense. But there's a, there's um, photo development fluid has mutated over millions of years because apparently in the future we go back to hard photography. Um, and uh, it, what it's done is now change these photographs so that they become like a they literally become a time slide. Like you can step through into these photographs into a different period in history. Uh, and they do some great jokes, like they go back to Nuremberg um, and uh, they accidentally save Hitler. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is a good joke. And there's some other places where they get somebody else's like Lister receives somebody else's photos of their hot their skiing holiday. And there's some other bits and pieces. But basically, sort of like you say, Lister then uses these slides to adjust his history to adjust and you get you know as we sort of said uh, before that like the changing time again 
and Rimmer ends up on the ship on, on his own. And he actually acknowledges, he's sort of like, well, I've, I've got to go back and change time so that it's me that ends up back there. And it's, it's my duty as an utter bastard to do it. <laughs> right, and, it's just a screw with Lister being happy, right? Yeah, basically, he can't, <laughs> he can't be happy for that. Um, and so you do get that sort of notion of like Lister, Rimmer, sorry, is a real, he's a real git. He's like, he is so underhand <laughs> and, and, and petty and, you know, for all the times I keep getting close to sort of liking the character, they'll throw something at me, and I'm like, "Yeah, he's a he's a, a vile dickhead." Um, <laughs> but it does it do, it does sort of um, this episode has got some great moments in um, some really sort of some great jokes that really land for me, um, and uh, a chance to see uh, a young a young Lister when he was in a band. Um, and the the Ohm song and all that is is re- is really good. Yeah, well, yeah, like, and you know, I, will you stop saying everything's crypto fascist? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, young list, and this comes back to almost like to our discussion around Looper. Like, what would you say to your younger self? And actually, like you said, like, you actually go back and be like, "Man, I was such a pillock." Like, you know, this seventeen-year-old Lister is uh, he is sort of like you know. Um, he is. He's such a he's such a plonker. Um, I'm not. Was it? I don't like mouth. Uh, I don't like uh, material objects. I don't. I don't cover wealth. It's crypto bourgeois crap. And sort of like, <laughs> yeah. And his older self is just like, oh come on, man. You know. He's, got, yeah, uh, he's like, yeah. You're not. You're not going to make it. And he's sort of like, you, was it the attention to all those groupies getting you down? He's like, uh, wow. Well, you don't. You don't make it. And uh, the reason is, well, um, well, you're crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. He doesn't hold back at all. Like, it doesn't soften it at all for his younger self. Um, well, speaking of Looper, I mean, this is the episode that demolishes the uh, determinism of the first two seasons. Um, yes. Where time can't be altered. You know, at some point in theory, we're going to meet up with those uh, those future echoes. no. You know, time can be changed, and that—that's the whole mechanic of this episode, which is fine, and I like the episode a lot. But I mean, here again is another kind of incongruity with the first two seasons. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. Um, but again, and again, again, sort of, it makes it as a time traveling device. It's an interesting one. Like it's another. It's you know they haven't just gone for because um, time travel will crop up again and again in Red Dwarf, but. This first version, like you say, or this version, I should say, it's, it's an interesting iteration. Like I don't think I've ever seen it anywhere else where they're like, yeah, those photos that you took, I can literally step into them. Um, and they do. The weird thing is, they apply they apply both rules to them and then break those rules pretty much instantly. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, um, and, you know, another thing that that's sort of breaking one of the rules of the show is going back to Earth. You know, which mm. we've had the backwards Earth, and now this is clearly going back to the other real Earth from their past. Um, you know, which the show kind of avoided. One thing that I really like about this episode is the depiction of wealth and success as totally arbitrary. Like, mm. it, you know, it is true that Lister's crap, right? But yeah. obviously, there are bands that are crap that do make it. I mean, the important thing is bubble wrap labeled tension sheet. You know, if you, whoever <laughs> invents, I mean, now is, is this a, is this a real thing? I mean, you know, this is like red bubble wrap that you can buy and you just pop the bubbles to relieve your tension. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. that's the great invention. Whoever gets that will like be a millionaire. And, you know, I, I like how Lister is, has a giant statue of himself and a butler and he still eats trash. You know, he's the <laughs> same guy. You can't take, uh, um, you know, the uh, countryside out of him or whatever it is. Well, the, I, I like the fact that because the, there's a series of jokes that I think um, really well placed. Because again, you actually get uh, a news feed. Um, you know, when Lister changes history, he disappears, and you find that because well, he because he wasn't on the ship, um, he didn't bring the you know, didn't bring Frankenstein on board. So the cat's race doesn't exist. So that's changing fundamentally changing history, uh, and obviously because. Lister wasn't there. He Rimmer wasn't able to save Crichton from the Nova Five. So you know, Rimmer is absolutely alone. Um, so he's with Holly. And he looks back into history to find sort of like traces or newsfeed or video footage or anything that they can then put through this muta- mutated photo stuff to to go back. And you get um, a comedian that I'm sort of I don't think gets remembered enough. You get a Ruby Wax. Um, as a news presenter, sort of as like an E-style sort of news presenter, giving some sort of story of, of who he is, and some of the sort of uh, the the things you learn about Dave Lister as he become this sort of like megastar, is that yeah he invented the tension sheet, it made a multimillionaire, he carried on with his band and got it to sort of like platinum got platinum level album by basically buying all the copies himself, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And so you realise, like I say, he's still he is still very much Dave Lister, um, and uh, I like the fact that when he rolls up and he sort of turns up to his drive, uh, and he, he gets out, and he's got his servants there, and you do have his butler, and his but even his butler rolls his eyes at him, <laughs> right? Because his butler's like, oh, this guy's such a prat. Like, why do I work here? But it pays. Um, yeah, I, I like that setup. I, I kind of like the fact that he's you know he's this guy, but he's still. The sort of this, you know, that sort of working class scouser. Yeah, for sure, and I and I like that he um he, what he wants most in his life is not to have joined Space Corps, which of course is yeah. like the antithetical, uh, you know, a total opposite of Rimmer, who idolizes Space Corps and wishes he were more successful in Space Corps and defines himself by it. Lister regards this as literally the worst mistake of his life, you know? Um, So I I like that dynamic. Uh, You know, I like how, how, you know, there's a sort of like poking fun at the lower classes in the Mm -hmm. wealthy Lister, but there's also a kind of like poking fun at the idea of a meritocracy that, you know, what got him there was inventing the tension sheet, you know? It was not... (laughs) any skill he's clearly not a smart guy um it's just luck yeah and that's it isn't it like you say just this one thing like you say is passed from hand to hand as an invention um that could you know um change everybody's future and they all end up marrying the same supermodel as well yeah um, <laughs> um and it is it's true it's, it's it is interesting i mean you know because i also like you know rimmer finally does get to go back and he gets to go um th- this is where it breaks the rules because for me because you can only go back to what has been photographed um yeah and they've sort of kept to it pretty much up until this point um but then uh then yeah he just rimmer just appears in the dining room whilst they're having dinner and i'm like well no one's f- photographed this but okay i'll let that slide um 
and again, I like Rimmer's sort of speech where he's sort of like, you know, um, look at you, look, at you, you know, you're not, you're not the person I know. You sort of, you're not the lister I sort of knew. Um, who, who between us is the richer man? You uh-huh. with your millions of pounds and your, you know, your millions of pounds and many houses and beautiful wife, or me with what I've got. <laughs> and then the realization <laughs> of, of, uh, of, of Rimmer's like, it's you, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's clear to me now. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, a- absolutely. I, that is a funny moment. Um, you know, I, I I do think that um, I actually identify more with Rimmer here. That yeah. um, you know, I, I I've talked about how like you know in Marooned, uh, you know the dynamic there, and you know how Rimmer seems utterly horrible in uh, Body Swap, just the, the previous episode. But like, it's funny to me that you know he says it's his duty as a bastard, you know. Um, But I do identify with him that, like, as much as he hates Lister, the idea of being on that ship alone is so miserable that it's better to have these people you detest (laughs) around you than be alone forever as, you know, the only person on the ship. Uh, I I quite like that. Well, the thing is, they say he wants to be, yeah, because he wants to get off. And again, as as all things go for Rimmer, like, he balls it up, it goes all wrong. Because he finds a photograph of his dormitory, doesn't he? He goes back to him at boarding school, and all he does is put things back. In fact, no, he doesn't. He, he, there's a, there is a change, but he basically gives the tension sheet back to the kid, the person who invented it in the first place. Um, and you sort of then get the sort of uh, what's it called, the bootstrap paradox of well, who actually invented it then? Because actually, Rimmer going back in time is giving. Um, I forget right. the, the kid's name now, but he gives him the idea for the tension sheet, and it's obviously him that invents it and him that takes it through time, and it's then obviously that that inspires them to try and you know go back and change or let Lister to go back and change it or something. So this idea of this tension sheet is never actually thought up; it's just sort of exists in this sort of weird <laughs> time loop around that sort of you know no one really thought it up. It just sort of is an idea that's been passed from person to person in this sort of weird um yeah timescape yeah it's just like this ticket to to wealth uh but it yeah. also functions in exactly as you describe of sort of like um at the end you know th- this is the kind of classic thing that that i've objected to in past episodes of like time can be altered yet in the end it's deterministic and i and that was the guy who invented it anyway well yeah. how did he invent it the first time through yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but it does change because in this, in this now, this this latest iteration of the timeline, um, Rimmer isn't dead; he's actually alive. Yes, um, and it's 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 funny the way they do it because you know it's Holly that informs him, and his but his H is gone, and he's obviously you know saying about how unlucky he is, and it, it it's one of those things that I never noticed. That you're, even sometimes you forget, and Holly's like, "Oh no, wait a minute, you're alive," right, and um. He's like, I can touch, I can feel. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they like to return things to the status quo. Um, and so uh, for some reason, he hits a couple of boxes and gets blown up. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't understand that. I mean, I obviously I understand the return to the status quo, although I guess it should be pointed out that now from here on, it is factually inaccurate to say that Rimmer... Uh, died and was resurrected as a hologram, as we saw in the first episode, 
Yes. That's no longer correct anymore. <laughs> yeah, yes, weirdly. Like, he was alive throughout... Yeah, there, there was a different timeline, wasn't there? So did all those of the previous episodes happen? Because he was alive throughout all of them, wasn't he? Um, and his death doesn't actually occur until he gets blown up in the cargo bay <laughs> by two boxes. Um What's in those boxes? Yeah. What you know, random explosive boxes in the cargo bay? What am I missing here? I have no idea. <laughs> it's so I bizarre. No idea. It is. It's so random. Um, but yeah, it's true because that's uh, from that point onwards. That's his death point, isn't it? Really. Um, so it resets time. You know that there's no longer a sort of a gazpacho soup moment for him or anything like that. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. which actually isn't the case because you know that and that is obviously. From a continuity point of view, that should be the new continuity, but it's not because in the next series, Injustice, um, they will talk about him having yes. killed the crew and having how he was wiped out as well. So, right, uh, continuity, so yeah, continuity. It was, it's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke they throw in just to highlight the fact that he has a, a sex doll with a puncture in it. Um, but other than that, it's a, it's a bit of a throw. But really, it should be like that's the point. At that point, like the whole previous timeline has changed, uh, and Rimmer's death point is now at the end of time slides. Right. Um, yeah, I never thought about that before. That's really weird. It is yeah. very strange. Well, you know, there is also the best joke of the episode, which is starting the episode with uh, and Adolf Hitler as himself. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, and I do really like when episodes start in a way that, you know, screws with the formula and, and kind of throws you off kilter right from the start. Yeah, because it does, it sort of, you know, and I, I kind of like that as well, when you sort of, um, the little the little nods um, when they do this sort of, because uh, they get a picture of Nuremberg, don't they? And he goes back and hit and, and Lister steals his, his suitcase and he <laughs> finds out it's the, it's the one that had the bomb in it. Um but he also has like a banana and crisp sandwich and some sort of uh, and some fluffy handcuffs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It's, it's a it's, it's a good episode. Time slice. Um, but moving well, on to sort of say, go on. yeah, moving on to the last day. The first thing I have to say is that I always am sad when like you reach the end of the season and you real <laughs> and you watch the titles and you think, oh, I've seen all those clips now. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, there is this odd kind of like, oh, I wonder how that will happen. And then you see them and they're they're disappointing or they're exciting or they take on a new context in that episode. And then you get to the end because this is the first season with those clips in the titles. And it, it makes me feel so sad to think, oh, I've seen all of those, aren't I? It, it's <laughs> like the fact that it's the last episode of the season just is stabbed home in a way that's more painful. No, I do mean I kind of, it's, it's, I kind of like playing that game, sort of like as you watch them, you sort of like identifying what what episode they, they're in, um, and it is always good because especially for the first episode, when you're watching that first episode of the season, and you're sort of going, oh, what the hell is good? What's that going to be? Um, yeah, I, I know, I know what you mean. Um, this one's an interesting one to me though. Last day, um, because we've had. This is this season has been like the the main introduction of um, Crichton, mm-hmm. and um, you haven't really had a Crichton sort of focused episode. He's been in; he's had some great moments, um, but this one is a sort of like the first Crichton esque, you know, uh, episode. 
and it's almost like they're going to get rid of him. Like it's it, you know it's him. It's an it's an odd one because it's it's him um, reaching the end of his service contract. So it's almost like you know you're having sort of a piece of software or a piece of hardware and sort of like yeah, it's no longer being supported. Like he's out of support. It, he, it's obsolete. Um, and that's a really interesting way or interesting place to put Crichton at after the first six episodes of him being a main character. Yeah, this is one of my favorite episodes of, of the season. And and I do like that kind of fake out of like, well, we added him without explanation in the first episode. Maybe we'll get rid of him. I mean, certainly Red Dwarf yeah. has done crazier stuff, right? Is this just the season with Crichton? Uh, who knows, right? Yeah, it could have been. I mean, yeah, they say they've changed enough at the start of the show. You don't know that they're going to not change things up again for series four. Um, and again, sort of like, you know, you get to uh, Robert Llewellyn gets to do a couple of different bits and pieces because he appears as sort of the technician or the sort of the uh, the diva droid international um, representative. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's interesting because it's sort of it's, it's it does focus around this idea of saying goodbye you know um it's it's a weird sort of it has a weird melancholy to it really um as an episode yeah absolutely well i mean i i there are so many little touches in this episode that i love too i mean you know you mentioned the sort of like expiration date which is very blade runner right you know Mm. um except here it's explicitly planned obsolescence right you know and and it's yeah. clearly to sell more androids right like yeah, you yeah. know it's it's not it's like oh yeah you know the, you could just keep using this android forever um you know that there's a lot that uh is, is really wonderful i mean by far one of the things that i love the most is silicon heaven which becomes a yes. sort of part of the um you know, sort of backstory in the in the world going forward. Um, but, you know, Crichton explains, of you know, uh, he finds all human religions utterly ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but of course, there's Silicon Heaven, uh, the final resting place for all mechanoid souls. Uh, you know, Lister says, well, machines don't have souls. Uh, you know, and Crichton thinks human heaven is absurd. But, you know, he says, oh, don't be ridiculous. Where do all the toasters go? Um, <laughs> yes, yes. You know, which is just yeah. wonderfully surreal. And well, where do all the calculators go? Uh, yeah. You know, wonderfully surreal. Um, and Lister says, well, he's been programmed to believe in Silicon Heaven. Um, and, and I just find that that really wonderful. The, the idea that, um, you know, somebody would program androids with the with the, this religion because that makes them more pliable when they're just doing all of this work for humans constantly. Yeah, it's weird, is it? Because he's a, you know, it's a programming, but it's sort of they tap into this idea of brainwashing, aren't they? Really, this idea that you are conditioned to accept your place in society because you've got this idea of a better, uh, a better place or a better life in an afterlife, and that's all you've been promised. And it's, you, you've got this conviction um, that yeah, you're gonna you're gonna get your sort of just reward afterwards um, in order for you to have this sort of level of servitude. Um, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's a again. It sort of it makes sense to an extent. Like if you were going to give, um, you know, androids a level of uh, intelligence, a, l- a level of artificial intelligence like this, it sort of works as a um, a, a control mechanism, doesn't it? Like you know, 
um, almost sort of like like Isaac Asimov kind of level. <laughs> why why wouldn't you introduce this kind of thing to sort of as a it was you you know religion was used as and, and it could be argued is still used as a form of control you know uh, for the masses. Well, all right, let's use the same concept then for androids. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great idea. Yeah, and obviously, while it's not, I think, overly heavy-handed, I mean, it's it's obviously done for comedy, it is, you know, a, a pretty brilliant satire of religion. Um, and, and then there's also, uh, along with that, uh, the fact that Rimmer's parents are hoppus, um, <laughs> which is based on a misprint of the Bible uh, that talks about faith, hop, and charity. <laughs> Um, you know, which, which strikes me as this is just absolutely Voltaire-like cleverness uh, of, of sort of satirizing, uh, you know, people. Well, just just like with the with the cats that uh, killed each other over the color of the hat, right? When yeah. both of them were wrong, um, you know. I think when the show dares to really satirize religion, those are some of the best bits. Yeah, and I, lo- I love the fact that sort of like you know, List has grown. Sorry, Rim has grown up to accept that that was complete nonsense. But yeah, his his family were um, Seventh Day Hoppists. It's sort of fundamental. <laughs> sort, of, sort of every seventh day they had to hop, which made Sunday dinner an incredibly difficult situation. <laughs> <coughs> which is so yeah, it, it, it's these little you know the little jabs um, that you, you do find sort of you know, interesting. Um, and you get you, you know you do get learn, you get to learn more because they go on like a bit of a a bend, and then they go on like a, a last a last hurrah for Crichton. They give him a party, um, and again I, I like some of the little jokes like you know they get they each want to give him a present, and um, some of them are, pr- are pretty sincere. Like you know uh, Dave Lister sort of created an android version of, of an awful version of Marilyn Monroe. Yes, um, <laughs> but I, I love cat present is probably my favourite. Because mm-hmm. he opens it and it's it's a it's an earring, a fish shaped earring, and even Crichton's like, "Oh, it's one of your earrings. It is the one you really hate." <laughs> he's like, That's right, I can't stand it. And so he's literally just fobbing off something he couldn't, uh, you know, he doesn't like to look at anymore. <clears throat> and I just love that as a sort of a a, mo- a cat moment. Yeah, and I quite like um, uh, Crichton's response to Lister's gift. He says, "It's a little box that goes fist, just yeah. what I always wanted." You know, the way even even at his own fetting, uh, twenty yeah. less than twenty four hours before his demise, he's lying to make them feel better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <coughs> it's just the characters in this are so good. I, I, I like this is. More development on Crichton. I think when I first watched this, you are you are hoping this. I'm not, you know, to, to fully hoping this isn't the end of this character because he is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean, the weird thing is that, that you know um, they've gone all out uh, in in sort of like you know Crichton's prosthetics. And it's not, not all out to be fair because it's it's not it's not you know Hollywood level, but he is, he looks like a droid. Like, you know, one of the jokes mm-hmm. is that he's got a funny shaped head. He's got a modeled head. It's very square and angular and that sort of thing. And he looks like a droid. Like he's not hugely well put together. You know, he's got a, a, a groinal attachment that can both be a sort of a whisk <laughs> and, and a Hoover uh, and other bits and pieces. Um, but when you meet the latest version, the sort of the upgrade, they've almost gone like, look, we're not going to do prosthetics for this because it's only for like, the end shot. Um, so we're just going to put some makeup on this sort of this big dude, 
Um, and so I'm always a little disappointed by Crichton's replacement. Yeah. But because he is just aesthetically isn't pleasing. Yeah, it just it just it doesn't feel like a robot. You know, yeah. it's just a, it's just a guy where with you know with his hair slicked back and some makeup, you know, a bit of makeup on around the eyes and sort of around the cheeks. And so it always feels to me like a bit a bit a bit like we said before about the polymorph stuff. Like it's a good episode up until mm-hmm. the payoff a little bit. Um, and I, I quite like the confrontation with it. I like the fact that they sort of um, there's a great moment when they all sort of stand up to him because Crichton says, "Well, he can't hurt." Humans, you know, <laughs> and it sort of so he scans them, and he's sort of like Rimmer, dead, fine. Cat is, you know, Felus, Homus Felus, so viable target, and it sort of says Dave Lister says barely human. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and and that's another example of the show kind of like making its own rule and then violating it right away. Except here, yeah. they're hanging a light on it and making it into a joke. Yeah, but you know it's great. There's that moment because he just looks like a person. Sort of like it never mm-hmm. feels, um, you know, the end of the episode always feels like a bit of a disappointment to me. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good point about the kind of like missed opportunity there. Um, and and then you know the other thing that I feel is sort of like that conflict. Um, you know, you know they're gonna survive and. You know, they survive and Crichton beats him by, you know, telling him there's no Silicon Heaven, which he's lying about, you know. Um, You know, so that's clever. But, I mean, you know, that the actual arrival of the android that's going to kill them is uh, strangely the least interesting part of the episode. Yeah, I agree. It's it's almost like um, it's a bit of an anticlimax, really. Yeah. and I feel that with a few of the, you know, you get that in some of the episodes uh, where, you know, they lead up to something and, you know, they, they just, you know, the, the, the payoff is never what it should be. Again, they're cramming this all into a 25 minute episode. So it is what it is. Um, but yeah, it's, like, it's a, a lot of these episodes are more about the journey than the payoff. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you can enjoy getting to the episode, enjoying the, the, the ridiculous chaos of, of what they're going through. Um, and the but the payoff isn't always um, doesn't always satisfy. I would say. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I mean, I might say that I think the kind of character moments are often the most interesting stuff. Um, mm. You know, I mean, we, we were talking about polymorph. I mean, I think that's a perfect example where the stuff we like most is not the action stuff, and and a lot of these sort of like sci-fi twists and turns. Um, are interesting and are good and, and do work for me on the show. And that's one of the reasons I love the show so much is that it's this blend of, you know, really being funny and also being a great sci-fi show. But those sci-fi things that work usually aren't the payoff, right? It's usually the setup. It's usually the, you know, I- idea in the first place. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I agree. Um, I mean, there is some good... There is one thing really funny in this that I wanted to point out. You know, you were talking about when they they have that party and they all get drunk and they wake up very much like the hangover, uh, you know, and there's a traffic cone. (laughs) You know, it's very hangover, right? I mean, there's a traffic cone. This is very confusing. And the cat says, you know, I don't find that confusing. It's not a good night unless you get a traffic cone. 
it's the police <laughs> worn helmet and suspenders I don't understand. <laughs> the level of yeah. just chaos that they're accustomed to is just delightful. Yeah, I do like that. Because um, again, there's a, they, in that moment, they do have that sort of... Um, they almost have a. It's a. It's not a dig, I suppose, but they sort of. There's this Gene Roddenberry dig there, where sort of Crichton says that you know, um, <laughs> this this is what you know is, is this what they mean by living, um, you know it's, it's uh, um, you know, if this is I I, I I'm not ready to die. I want more, um, and it's sort of you know you know it's sort of it's been played for laughs a little bit, but it, it's still that moment sort of like, you know it's a bit Star Trek, isn't it? Sort of like you know this is what you mean by human living sort of thing. Um, but it, it's still quite, it's still quite, you know, quite a nice little moment um, that they've done all these things for him. But yeah, it's an interesting episode to end on. Because um, uh, again, like I say, it's, it's that thing of sort of like, if, you know, he's he's at the end of this episode. Crichton has made an active choice to not deactivate himself and to go against his own programming. So we are mm-hmm. ending in a position where he still accepts that there is a. Um, there is still a silicon heaven, so he still believes it at the end of the episode. But yet, right. he is not willing to deactivate himself to get there. So he's, he would prefer to live and, to an element, to an extent, remain in servitude. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's an odd, you know he's made that choice. So it's it's, it's an interesting moment for him. Really, well. they're starting to really break his programming. Yeah, and it's it, and I think it's telling that this is the season where Crichton's introduced and. So much of what we've isolated that we love is uh, is Crichton related, and he does mm. seem to be growing as a character. Yeah, and I, and I think part of that definitely is what Robert Llewellyn brings to him uh, as a, as an ideal. Um, right. So we're talking about Crichton. We're going to go. If you jump, do you want to jump straight into series four? Well, spin my nipple nuts and call me Susan. It's a time for another break. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That's season three completed. Or series three, I should say. We are British after all. Series three completed. And of course, in the next episode, we'll be diving into series four. But I hope you're enjoying the progress that we're making. Three episodes in, three series in. We've got so much more to do. We're going to go all the way up to 12 and the film or the feature length episode. So we've got so much more to go. Um, we are going to be out weekly. So next week, you will get series four. In the meantime, if you want to get in contact with us and talk about Red Dwarf, uh, find us on Twitter at PodTimeSpace. Me and Julian, we love to talk about uh, Red Dwarf. We'd like to hear your thoughts. What do you think about the series so far? One, two, and three. What are your favourite episodes? Who are your favourite characters? Uh, What are your predictions for the future and what you think we're going to think about some of the future episodes? Let us know. Anyway, for now, thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you next week.